The story is told of an older couple who had been married for many years and had enjoyed that relationship with one another uh, together in a very special way. And on one occasion, the husband, uh, during a doctor's appointment, which is always very true for older people, a lot of doctor's appointments, but on one occasion at a doctor's appointment, um, the doctor asked him at the conclusion, well, is there anything else I can help you with? And the man said, well, I'm concerned about my wife. I think she's losing her hearing. And I'm just not sure what to do. And so the doctor said, well, why don't you do this? Run a little test and let's just see how bad her hearing really is. Uh, when you go home, go ahead and call her name out and ask her a question and keep getting closer and closer until she responds. And so the husband thought, well, that's really a good idea. And so he went home and he waited until the evening and he knew his wife was in the kitchen preparing dinner. And so he went to the front door and opened the front door and stood right outside the door with the door open and said, Honey, when will dinner be ready? He heard no response. So he came into the house and he stood in the entryway, uh, door now closed. And again he said, Honey, when will dinner be ready? And so he moved a little bit further into a room that was adjacent to the kitchen and he called out again, Honey, when will dinner be ready? And still, no response. So he went to the opening into the kitchen area, and he said, Honey, when will dinner be ready? And he heard his wife say, I've already told you four times. <laughs> dinner will be ready soon. The reality is, it wasn't her problem of hearing, it was his. And how true it is, so often we fail to recognize that we have a problem of hearing and understanding, rather than it might be true of others. Now sometimes those problems have to do with people talking to us, we can't make out what they're saying. But even more so, the problem has spiritual significance. Because it isn't just perceiving the words and even understanding the meaning of the words, but comprehending the significance of them. As I used in the little illustration uh, before we started our study, parents often say to children, Do you hear me? And it isn't that they mean, are you hearing the uh, voice that is speaking to you, but rather are you comprehending what's being said? Jesus said it like this. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And the real question for me, for you, for each one of us today is, are we listening? Are we hearing? Do we think it's an issue for someone else and fail to recognize it is something pertinent to me? 
And in reality, Solomon is expressing that truth for us of the importance of listening, of comprehending, of having life changes in us because of the Word of God. Notice what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And I want to go back and read from verse 7. You remember Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. It answers, answers that most important fundamental question, where does an individual find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life? And in the first six chapters, he's developed the theme that says, if you try to find it in anything temporal, you're going to be left empty. You'll always want something more. But instead, meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in life is only found in a God-centered focus. And in chapter 7 to the end of the book, he's going to bring us deductions and teachings from the reality that a God-centered life provides an individual what is necessary. And in verse 7 of chapter 9, we have the last time that Solomon makes this refrain of being sure you have that God-centered focus and the issues that flow out of it. In light of the reality of life's uncertainties, and that you and I can't change what tomorrow may bring, we will live the hand that God deals us. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white at all times, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, verily do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net, and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with a few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Now in this section before us, 
You notice Solomon is recounting something that he observed, he saw. As it says in verse 13, Also this I came to see. It was something I beheld. And he is telling an account that we don't know the historical basis for it or when it took place, but he's not just making up a story. He's looking at a circumstance that took place. And what he is going to do is bring out a deduction or a truth from it that you and I need to grasp. In other words, this actual historical event has overtones to it that become a proverbial concept for us to grasp and a point that is there. And what we are going to find is that Solomon is really saying, I have been telling you about the reality that it's only the God-centered life that really will give you meaning, satisfaction, and fulfillment in life. But are you listening? Are you still seeking to find that your fulfillment will be in something temporal rather than in that relationship with God? And how does he develop it? Well, he starts by saying, this is what I observed. This is what I saw. And the next phrase in verse uh, 13 is, it impressed me. In other words, it had an impact upon me. I thought about this carefully. I spent time analyzing and thinking through what I observed. Now, what is the circumstance that Solomon is recounting? And it is basically a study in contrast. Notice he says, here was a small city. It is a village of some sort, but it is a walled community. Now, it's like us today with our um, fenced communities where we somehow feel more safe and secure. Don't want to minimize the value of them. But unless the Lord's guarding the city, you're watching in vain. The reality is, Solomon is looking at a circumstance. And notice what he contrasts. Small city, village, walled community, and a great king, one with power, a great military uh, entourage with him. And there were only a few men in this small village, town, community. In other words, they did not have the resources to go up against this great king who had surrounded the city, who had started building the siege uh, bulwarks against it where they could climb up on these mounds of dirt and begin to shoot their arrows or other weapons within the city and begin to overpower it and destroy it. The point Solomon is making is you're looking at a situation that is basically hopeless. There's no way this city is going to come out of this circumstance unscathed. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the military power or might. They didn't have the capability of overpowering this great king who now had surrounded their city. The the inhabitants of the community were left in a hopeless situation. But then what does Solomon say? There was found in this city a poor wise man. 
So when you think about this individual situation, he wasn't sitting on the town council. He wasn't some prominent, respected, honored individual within the community. He wasn't someone that people were always turning to for advice. As a poor individual, in the minds of men, he's got nothing he could offer. And that's what Solomon wants to have emphasized. This man didn't come with Herculean strength to say, let me take care of the enemy. This individual didn't come with a skill of developing weapons of war that could overpower the great king that had surrounded the city. He had no wealth which he could pay to buy off the king that was attacking the city. The community was in a hopeless circumstance and this individual had absolutely nothing in the way of resources to help the city out. But what did he have? Wisdom. And this man, by his wisdom, even though the city was in a hopeless situation, had no resources to overpower this great king, was delivered by the wisdom of this poor man. Now what did he do? Solomon doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us whether he had some ability in his wisdom to negotiate with that king that the king turned and went away. It doesn't tell us whether he came up with a military strategy of which this great king wasn't aware of and thereby they were able to overtake that great king and be delivered. The point Solomon is making is this community was in a hopeless situation and did not have the resources to meet the demands of their crisis. But this poor man, coming only with wisdom, brought about a miraculous type of deliverance of that attacked community. And so the point that Solomon is making is that the wise man with his only resource of wisdom was able to bring about the deliverance from the city. Now what's the perception that Solomon has? What does he want us to understand? Well, he brings it out in verses 15 and 16. There was found in that small village, community, that town that was surrounded by the great king, a poor, wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. So, from this actual historical event, what is it that Solomon wants us to take away from it and understand? Well, the first would be the fact that when you go through life, 
what is absolutely essential to handle the difficulties in life, the unseen circumstances that may come upon you, like the fish caught in the treacherous net, like the bird that is snared in the trap, the unexpected realities of life that fall upon us all of a sudden, we're blindsided. What is the resource we need to be able to cope with, to handle those circumstances in life? Wisdom. Wisdom. Now, we have the mistaken idea that, well, if I get lots of degrees from universities and institutions, I'm going to be a wise person. We'll listen to that. But notice, in this account, Solomon was not focused on somebody that was well-known and respected. So we have to eliminate the great thinkers, the individuals that the world looks at and says, well, if we want the answers to our problems, we need to look to these experts. Because the reality is, those experts have just as much difficulty putting life together as the people who aren't the experts. The rich and the wealthy have just as many problems as the poor and those in need. The individuals who have all their degrees still can often find their lives are left in shambles. And they don't have the ability to cope with all of the great problems that we have in life. When Solomon is talking about the kind of wisdom that gives the individual the skill to handle the unplanned, treacherous things that may fall upon us and to do it skillfully and successfully are the individuals that have wisdom from God. And in the eyes of the world, that wisdom is despised. That wisdom is looked down on. And people will take all of the individuals who are the experts in human studies, whatever ology you want to put in front of that term, and say, there's where we find the answers. And the reality is, when man leaves God out of the equation, he never comes to the right conclusions in life. And we have a multitude of circumstances provided for us in the Scriptures to show us how individuals that were God-fearing individuals had a wisdom to know how to handle the difficult circumstances of life. I'll give you some of the well-known ones. Do you ever hear of a son of Jacob by the name of Joseph? And Joseph was sold by his brothers and was down in Egypt. He was in prison. And while he was in prison, he gave direction to the cupbearer, and the baker. Now, the directions he gave to them was based on a special revelation that God had given to him, wasn't it? And so I'm not using that circumstance. 
But we do find that Joseph was forgotten and not honored and despised. Because when the baker was put to death like Joseph had said, and the cupbearer was put back in his position, he forgot all about Joseph for two years. And then a crisis came to Egypt. And the cupbearer said, you have to pardon my neglect. Because I know somebody that can tell Pharaoh what we need to do. And first, Joseph was given revelation, disclosure by God, of what was coming in the future for Egypt. And he explained that to Pharaoh. But do you know what he did after that? He said, Pharaoh, listen to me. This is what we need to do. Joseph expressed the wisdom based upon the knowledge of the circumstance so that the Egyptians could weather the coming storm. That's what I'm pointing to. It wasn't just that Joseph was given revelation and disclosure, but he had this skill to say, as I analyze what's coming, here's what we need to do. And you remember the response of Pharaoh's council? Where could we find another individual as wise and discerning as Joseph? He knew how to handle the crisis situation and come up with the appropriate answer that was beneficial not only for him, for Egypt, but for his own family as, those came, as his family came down from Cana and then dwelt in Egypt. How about the example of Daniel? And again, we have to be sure we exclude the revelations, disclosures that God gave to Daniel. But here's the crisis. Nebuchadnezzar's in a tirade. All of his cabinet members, his counselors, were unable to give him the answer. So you know what he did in his fit of anger? Let's kill all of the wise men. And here's Daniel's ability of how he could go in and speak to the enraged King Nebuchadnezzar and say, why are you being so hasty? I'll get the answer for you. He knew how to handle the circumstance and to come up with the appropriate course of action that preserved not only his life and his three friends' lives, but also that of all of the counsel of Nebuchadnezzar. The skill to analyze a circumstance, to make the right conclusion, and to have it beneficial for the individual and those associated with them. Do you know where it starts? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and understanding. You're either wise or you're a fool. The fool is not just the idiot that cut you off on the road. The fool is the one that says, I don't need God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He lives his life as if God doesn't exist. He isn't able to cope with reality. And those who, when God calls, aren't listening Closing their ears. That's foolishness. We don't need that. 
God says, when your calamity comes and you're in your crisis and everybody around you becomes very prayerful and spiritual, I'm not going to listen to you. It's the individual who cultivates that relationship with the Lord so that when the flood comes, it doesn't blow them away. And what I've learned in my pastoral experience, you can encourage individuals, you can direct individuals, you can plead with individuals, but you cannot give individuals the ability to cope with the problems that they face unless God does something in their heart. And so the real question for me and the real question for you is the question that Solomon is really implying here. Are you listening? Are you still misguided to think that this world has the answers to the problems and the dilemmas that come to us as human beings? Are you still an individual that thinks because expert so-and-so says something, that's got to be the answer? Are you still the misguided individual that thinks somebody in a place of power and prominence is the one that's going to solve all of our problems? Don't you understand that God keeps bringing human beings into problems that are hopeless so that we recognize it's not resources in ourselves? But it's only God Himself who can give us the solution and the sense of well-being as we go through it. And He said, what conviction I have is that Wisdom is essential to handle the difficult circumstances of life. And because of that, it is more beneficial. Notice twice he says here, and in italics, the uh, translators also added it in verse 17. Verse 16, wisdom is what? Better than strength. Verse 18, wisdom is what? Better than weapons of war. Now, to be sure that we don't misunderstand what Solomon is saying, he's not saying be complacent about these things. He's already said, whatever your hand finds to do, what are you to do? Do it with all your ability. So he's not saying, therefore, don't worry about a defense system. He's not saying, don't engage yourself in your studies and seek to learn. He's not saying, don't utilize the resources you have now to try to be prepared for what may come. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your mind. Give yourselves wholeheartedly to the task that is before you. Be it studies in school, be it things associated with your job, the development of your family and the care and the concern you have for them. Whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. But understand, unless the Lord builds the house, you may bring in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, it's fruitless for the wiseman, uh, for the watchman to stand his guard post. Because unless the Lord protects the city, the nation, the whole, unless the Lord watches over, guides, protects, and camps around about you, your efforts are fruitless efforts. Are you listening? Or are you resting on the fact that, well, I'm a pretty smart cookie. Look at all the education I've had. You remember how Paul addresses this in the New Testament when he wrote to the Corinthians? He told them in the opening chapters, 
the wisdom of man will never give the right solutions to the problems that we face. If it would, they would not have crucified the king of glory. Man sees the situation, he looks at it, and he comes to the wrong conclusion. We are often told, well, isn't it such that all truth is God's truth? Is all truth God's truth? Yes. Yes. But you know what the problem is? The question that Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Don't tell me science has got truth because they're still in their new editions. And somehow we believe wherever we find something that seems appropriate and palatable, there's truth. How do you know what is truth? You must examine it by truth. And if it doesn't conform to this book, no matter how good it may seem to be, it isn't truth. So many of you remember uh, a godly teacher by the name of S. Lewis Johnson. And he was asked the question, well, why aren't you engaged in studying and embracing all these various uh, ologies for men to understand himself and his internal workings and his motives and everything else? He said, well, I just shortcut the step. Instead of spending all of my time in these human studies, I go to the book that gives me the answer. Because if I learn something in one of the ologies, i got to go to the Scriptures to find out if it's valid. Yes, all truth is God's truth. But the problem is, it's not found in the reasonings of men. We may find things as an expression of truth and see His laws at work. But the reality is, what I need is the Word of God. And so my question to you today is, are you listening? Do you understand how desperately you need the Lord? Do you recognize that God's Word is a light to your path and a lamp to your feet? And if you're not focused in His Word... You're groping in darkness? Do you recognize that in this book, God has given you the resources, not only to know Him, but to have the skill to look at the situations you face in life? And those situations are much more than whether you can add and subtract and read and write. Those are the situations of how do you make up a house and members in it a family. Those situations are how do you get along with people that are your neighbors and your co-workers, etc. Those are the situations of how do you handle the unexpected crisis that comes into your life. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. The beginning of that wisdom. Remember the story of David and Goliath? It didn't matter what Goliath brought. He had the weapons of war. You understand that Goliath was the most skilled warrior of the Philistines in addition to being big. What the Philistines kept taunting the Israelite army with is, give us your best. Here's our best. 
Let's let them fight together and see who comes out on top. And instead, the Israelites sent a despised teenager who was a shepherd of sheep who came only with the bag that he had used of some little rocks, some smooth pebbles that he got out of the brook. And instead of the spear and the sword and the shield and a strength and an ability that far surpassed that of David, guess what? David slew Goliath. David's confidence was in a God who delivers those who trust in him. David's wisdom was, I've trained with my sling, and I can find the opening in his armor to bring him down. And with that small stone, the mighty one was falling. We have the example that we find even of Christ. Not with strong weapons, not with great strength and degrees, but Christ was the one whose words were despised and not heeded. Remember the conclusion that the religious leaders the honored individuals and respected individuals of, of Israel said of him, where did this man get wisdom? Is he not just the carpenter's son? They looked down on him. They didn't listen to the words that he spoke. What you need to understand is the world will never look favorably upon the wisdom that we find in the word of God. Because to the natural man, spiritual things are utter foolishness. But what you and I need to understand is, what God gives us in his word is to provide us not only with the joy of the burden of sin lifted and the wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ, But how blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditates day and night. And he'll be like that tree that is firmly planted by the springs of water. And his leaf doesn't wither. He bears fruit in his own season. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Stability of character. Fruitfulness, even in times of drought and difficulty. His leaf isn't withering. He stands the tests and the trials of time. But the wicked are not like that. They're the tumbleweed out in West Texas. The wind merely blows and what happens to them? Bounces across 
the terrain. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore the wicked won't stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous because the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. So, the world will despise it. Sometimes we can be beguiled into thinking, well, what we really need if we're going to handle life successfully is what the experts are telling us. I want to minimize their research and all they're doing. But if you have all the learning of the experts of the world and are ignorant of this book, you don't have the skill to handle the real difficulties and crisis in life. But if you have the wisdom that comes from this book, and in the eyes of the world, you're a nobody, and they are despising the things that you might tell them, even though at times it might be beneficial for them, after all is over, they go back to their normal ways, and you're not given the honor. The point he's making is wisdom is the most valuable of all resources, even if it's not appreciated and accepted by others around you. man said to a doctor, I'm concerned about my wife. I think she's losing her hearing. Where was the problem? Not with the wife. Her response was, I've already told you four times. Dinner's almost ready. She was hearing fine. He was ignorant of the fact that he had a hearing problem. And so, from a spiritual standpoint, I leave you with a question. Are you listening? Are you hearing what God says in His Word? Are you understanding that apart from Him, you can do nothing? Do you recognize that through Christ you can handle any circumstance in life just like Paul told the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and understanding. May God be pleased to give us ears to hear. And may we listen to what he's telling us. Let's pray.